0: All right well let's uh, open up in a word of prayer father we thank you for tonight and the lord the opportunity and the ability to to sing and to use our voices to to praise your name father we thank you for the opportunity tonight to fellowship and to uh, be together with other believers and to, Nor um, hear the the reading of your word. And um, Father, it's just a, an incredible privilege to be able to do that together. Father, we do come tonight and we um, pray for those we mentioned. We pray for Miss Carolyn as she has this uh, The urinary tract infection and pneumonia. Father, we pray that you would heal her. Father, we do pray for Robbie and her follow up appointment. Uh, pray that all would go well there. We pray uh, for Deborah as she goes to um, get the injection. Lord, we pray that it would help, um, Lord, and be effective. And, and Father, we pray for Dixon as he, he goes into surgery and pray that you would be with the physicians and, and those that are working on him. And uh, Father, just help him to, to heal. And to heal quickly, Father. We, um, and we do pray tonight, Lord, for the truth that uh, you have put into your word. I pray that you would teach us tonight, Lord. Um, Father, make us more like your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Right. So tonight we're going to continue in our study of the the work of the Trinity in salvation. And so last time we started with, we we looked at the Father and His work in salvation. We saw that the Father sent the Son, imputed our sin to the Son. He, He punished His Son in our place and for our sins, and that the Father has raised and exalted His Son. We saw that the Son now lives at the right hand of the Father and interceding on our behalf. So tonight we're going to look at the work of the Son in salvation. And we're going to begin by looking at the nature of the Son's work. And we're going to see several different things here that Scripture says about uh, the Son. And first of all, we... um, we're going to see that He is the Son, our Savior. And in Luke chapter 1, this is in Zechariah's prophecy about Christ. And he calls Him the Horn of Salvation. The Horn of Salvation. And um, the word that's used for horn here means actually the the horn of an animal. So uh, something an animal used to, to pierce. or or to gouge, or to fight, uh, to defend itself against prey. And so then figuratively, horn came to be a symbol of strength, and of power, and of might. And that's how it's used here, that that Christ is the power of our salvation. Um, Secondly, we see that He is um, the Savior of the world. And this is John 4. Uh, This is after Jesus speaks to uh, the woman at the well. And um, she goes and she tells those in the town what what has happened in in her coming into contact with Jesus. And then um, it says this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. In Titus chapter 3, Paul is writing there to Timothy. And he says that the Son is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Savior of those who believe. And then in Romans 11, verse 26, Paul, here he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 59. And he calls Jesus Christ the Deliverer. The the deliverer and I thought that when you look at this um, word it's it's actually a pretty pretty vivid image um, of deliverer the the word literally means um one who drags or in dragging someone and the idea is dragging someone to safety. And so, you know, you can picture in your mind, you know, I thought about the the movies and things that I've seen of a a battlefield, right? And the injured guy's out in the middle of the battlefield, and and the guys run out and pick him up kind of under his armpits, and they they drag him back behind a wall or a tree or something like that to a safer position. They're dragging him to safety, and so that's the the image that's portrayed there. And um, it was just very helpful for me to to kind of think about it that way in my mind. And so all of these are different names or titles that are given to Jesus to to articulate, to to, to try to to speak about His role in the salvation of mankind. We also see in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus goes into the synagogue in, in Nazareth. And He takes the scroll and He reads from Isaiah chapter 61. And it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words this is talking about me. That's what Jesus is telling them. This is what he came to do, to proclaim good news, to proclaim liberty, to give sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is very clear. Even Jesus, as he quotes the Old Testament about himself, he's come to save. Also, in the very next chapter of the Bible... In Luke chapter 5, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And so the idea here is that Jesus saves those who recognize their sin and seek repentance and and seek salvation in Him. Again, in, in Luke 19, Jesus makes a very direct statement as to why uh, the Son has taken on flesh and has come to earth. And he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In addition to these very direct uh, statements of Jesus about his saving work, we also have illustrations of this truth in the uh, parables. In the parables. Especially in Luke 15. There Jesus says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So from this parable, he goes right into uh, the next verses, into another. And there Jesus says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then in in the same chapter, um, at the end of probably one of the most well-known parables, the parable of the the prodigal son, Jesus says this, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And the The author of our study, Paul Washer, he writes this. In each of these illustrations, the emphasis is not on the worth of the one being saved, but on the love of the one who is saving. The Son was willing to make the greatest sacrifice and pay the highest price, not because of our worth or merit, but because of His great love with which He determined to love us. And so Jesus, again, he said to the Pharisees in John chapter 10, he said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so we see this work that Jesus has come to do, the salvation that he comes to bring. And In Scripture, we not only see the the work of the Son, but we also see the uniqueness of this work. There's nothing else like it. There's no one else who has accomplished this. There's no other means of salvation except through the Son. And we see this in places like um, John 14, where Jesus said, I'm the way. The truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Also in in Acts 4, uh, Peter and John were there before the the high priestly council and they were being questioned about the lame man that had been healed. And they told the council this and there's no salvation, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul writes to Timothy, again in chapter 2, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So there's no other person or object or anything else by which we can be saved except Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we've looked at the the nature of the Son's work. Now we're going to look at the finished work of the Son. And um, the first thing that we're going to look at here is that the Son willingly emptied himself. And we read this in uh, in Philippians two. In this. Uh, what's been called the Christ hymn in starting verse 6 says, Though Jesus Christ was, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the word form here, it carries the idea not only of, of an outward form, but also the, the essential character of a person or an object. And so in his nature, in his um, essential character, the Son is God. But he did not see this as something to be grasped or to be um, improperly held onto. Again... Paul Paul Washer writes this, The idea communicated is that the Son, through His incarnation, demonstrated His willingness to let go of the privileges of Deity in order to do the will of His Father. We also see in Scripture that the Son lived a perfect life. Absolutely perfect. No sin whatsoever. There, There are many... References to this fact uh, in Scripture. In Hebrews, it says, talking about Jesus, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In First John we read, uh, You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Sin, So totally without sin lived a perfectly obedient life to the will of the Father. We also see that in living this perfect life and in obeying the Father, the Son also willingly offered Himself as a substitute, as a sacrifice for us and for our sins. And we we read just a a moment ago in Philippians 2.8, where it says that He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, in John 10, when Jesus is talking to uh, the Pharisees, He said, For this reason the Father loves Me, because I lay down My life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me, but I lay it down on My own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We read in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God shows His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We read in 1 Peter that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So the Son willingly giving Himself, that we might be ransomed, that we might be redeemed and, and bought back into relationship with the triune God. The final section we want to talk about tonight is that after willingly giving Himself up to death, the Son raised Himself from the dead. And this, is, this is really interesting because last week we saw that the Scriptures teach that the Father raised the Son from the dead. And next week we'll see that the Spirit raised the Son from the dead. So we see what we see here is this The the resurrection was a Trinitarian work of of all the members of the Godhead. And we see in John chapter 2 that this conversation Jesus is having. And uh, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And, And Jesus said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. We've also looked earlier at John 10. And there Jesus said that um, he lays his life down, that he might take it up again. And no one takes it from him, but he said, I lay it down of my own accord. have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. So as he willingly gave himself, he also resurrected from the dead. And we see that because the Son has the power and because he has the authority to raise himself from the dead, he also has the power and authority to raise others from the dead as well. We read in John 5, Jesus says, And God the Father has given... God the Son, authority to execute judgment, because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And later on in John 11, we see that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so this is our hope. He has raised himself from the dead. And he also has the power and authority to raise others. So last time we saw the work of the Father. Tonight we've seen the work of the Son. And next week we'll come back and we'll see the work of the Spirit in the salvation of sinners. So let's pray. Father, we thank You for what we've seen tonight, the truth of Your Word and, uh, in the Son and um, His perfect life, His His willingness to suffer and to die, and then His power and authority in raising Himself from the dead. And Father, we we praise you and we thank you for this truth. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to to meditate and to think on these things as we as we go this week. And that we would worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Thank you.